0: And one of the questions I find helpful when I'm reading the Bible, when I want to hear God speak uh, to me through it, which is, you know, always when I read the Bible, uh, one, of the things I, one of the things I might ask myself or have in my head is, is there anything unusual here? Is there anything that's grabbing my attention in this passage? Well, I think in the passage we're going to read today, there is plenty that's unusual. Um, and I know that sometimes that makes us a bit scared. This is good, challenging, unusual. Um, a brief bit of context before we read it. Paul was a great church leader, a man incredibly gifted by God. Uh, he would go to places, he would just preach about Jesus and people would believe and they would start churches and this got him in a lot of trouble uh, because the Roman authorities didn't like that. And, so, um, and also, nor did the Jewish people from whom uh, Paul had come. And uh, so he was under house arrest, when this letter is being written, um, and execution was a very real possibility for him. The church in Philippi, which he had started about a decade earlier, had heard about this, and they'd sent one of their members on an 800-mile journey with a gift to help provide uh, for Paul's needs. And Paul, with his co-worker Timothy, wrote this letter to thank them, Uh, for that, and to let them know how he was getting on, because obviously they cared, and also to encourage them in their faith, because he was always doing that. And so the first section that Dan uh, spoke to us about last week, uh, he greets them, uh, he thanks them, and he lets them know how he is praying uh, for them. And now he gets on to what they would have wanted to know, which is, how is he doing? Because there's no way for them to know that, only by this letter coming to, how is Paul well, let's read what he said and let's pray uh, before we do so that God might speak to us as well, that we might hear God speak. Lord, would you just come right now by your Holy Spirit as we read your word together and speak to us, Lord. We need to hear you. And we need you to help us to hear you. So please, God, please, come, Lord, through your word. Speak to us. Now, I want you to know brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's, been, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is God's word. Was there anything you found unusual in that? Why don't you have a chat with the person next to you and say, I found that really strange. Or it just all washed over me and I didn't know what he was saying. Or somewhere in between those two things. Uh, just say that to the person next to you. Let me, that, that, Whoa, that really stood out to me. That was interesting, unusual, strange. And um, whilst you do that, you'll see me reading from this. And we've got copies of this for anyone who wants it. It's a, a copy of the letter to the Philippians with space for you to write your own uh, thoughts and comments on as well. And if you would like one of those, or if you came last week and forgot... So bring it back this week. Just put your hand up. We've got practical team upstairs and downstairs, and they would love to offer you a copy. So practical team, off you go. And just turn to the person next to you and say, I found that line really strange. I found that really odd. That was unusual. Well, I don't know about you, but I found at least six strange statements in this short passage, which is pretty good going. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verses 15 and 18, Um, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but what does it matter? Verse 18, I will continue to rejoice. Verses 21 to 23, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, yet what shall I choose? I don't know, I'm torn between the two. Verse 25, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. How can Paul say any of these things? let alone all of them, in one very short bit of writing. Well, we're going to look at what he has said in this passage and a bit more about God's word in general to find that out. But we aren't doing this as a kind of, oh, that's curious. That's interesting about Paul. We're doing this because we need to get Paul's perspective for ourselves. We're followers of Jesus. I'm going to say we need to become like this. And the explanation for all of this is actually in the heart of this passage. But we'll go through the strange statements in the order Uh, that we have them until we get to that so strange statement number one now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel well what's happened to Paul I mean it must be good mustn't it I mean the gospel's advancing so maybe it's something in his personal life maybe his health or his finances are just seeing real improvement and it's wonderful or maybe there's been a, like a change in you know, government policy or a shift in the culture that's just suddenly made it easier to be a follower of Jesus. That would surely advance the gospel. No, he has been unjustly imprisoned for over three years. You can read all about it in Acts 21 to 28. What might we have written if this was our letter? Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually really upset and frustrated me. I am totally fed up with it, and I cannot wait for my life to get better. Now, Of course, Paul didn't like being a prisoner. But he shows us here that his focus, it's just not on his own circumstances. This is the bit of the letter where he's actually supposed to be telling people how he's doing. So that's what you do in a letter like this. You send greetings and you, you speak about them. And then, particularly because the Philippians are like, how are you? We want to help you. Could you let us know? Paul's like, sure, I will. But actually, here's how the gospel's doing. That's what he talks about because that's what matters most to him. And how is the gospel doing? It's advancing. Okay, you're in prison. course it's still advancing because Paul is using every opportunity he gets to help with this. He was under house arrest at this point. He would have been chained to a Roman soldier at all times. Obviously there's two ways of thinking about that. Paul could say I'm chained to this soldier or he could say they're chained to me. (laughs) Don't know how long the chain was but for some of those soldiers it wouldn't have been long enough. They couldn't get away from him. And so he took the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And obviously it wasn't just one soldier, because they worked in shifts. So day after day, week after week, month after month, they all get to hear about Jesus. It's just worth asking ourselves, isn't it? Would would we have done that? Now the Philippians wouldn't have been surprised by this news at all because Paul had also been imprisoned in Philippi. And he had spent the night singing, singing hymns and psalms to God. And then there'd been a violent earthquake that had shaken all the doors open and all the chains off the prisoners. And the jailer who witnessed this had very quickly become a follower of Jesus and part of the Philippian church. So whether there was a release or there was ongoing imprisonment, Paul was able to use even circumstances like this to advance the gospel. Second surprising thing, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So because a Christian leader is facing death at the hands of the government for their faith, other Christians are more confident and daring and fearless in proclaiming their faith. Again, how? Well, Paul says, they're confident in the Lord. They have seen God's work in Paul's imprisonment. And through their amazement at this, God has set something alight in them too. When we read or hear about other believers' boldness and bravery or endurance, we have a choice of responses. We can basically shrug our shoulders and, and consider them unlike us. Wow, <laughs> amazing that they can do that. Or we can believe that the same God who's at work in them can be at work in us. That our weakness gives space for his strength to be seen. Note, Paul doesn't say, the other gifted evangelists in the church, or the loud ones, or even the ones who like trouble. No, no, he says nearly all of the church have been fearlessly, bravely, daringly preaching, proclaiming Jesus in all sorts of ways. When we read church history, when we read Christian biographies, when we find out what God is doing amongst other people, this can be a moment of of adding fuel to the fire in us. Feel a little like, yeah, I just don't feel very, you know, inspired. I don't feel very passionate. But one of the things you can do is read about other people who God has used. And you think, okay, they were human too, so maybe God could do that in me. And then when there are opportunities, ones that you make or ones that you join in with, you can see what God could do through you too. Third statement that we find a bit strange. It's true. That some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but what does it matter? There's kind of two weird statements there, isn't it? Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Why would anyone do that? Well, every Christian's a mix, aren't they? Of the goodness of God and their remaining mess of their sinful selves. That's why we have division in the church as a whole. It's why we all do things and think, not quite sure what my motives were there. There were Christians in Rome who envied Paul's success. They wanted to have the kind of influence uh, that he had, maybe even the notoriety. But because the way that they tried to get at him was by telling everyone the truth about Jesus, Paul's like, go for it. Just do it. He refuses to get upset about it. So they're trying to get at him, but they're talking about Jesus. And so Paul's like do what you like to me. Fine, because they are actually telling the truth about Jesus. He's very clear and very angry when people don't tell the truth about Jesus, but these guys are, and so he's like, whatever. If you're doing that about him, that's fine. Even they, they, they seem to be doing it to try to make trouble for him. And he's like, well, what does that matter? More than that, verse 18, he rejoices. He's not even chilled about it. He's happy. Again, we're confronted with how little Paul cares about himself and how much he cares about the gospel. And if this just seems like increasingly bewildering, and the more and more we look at this, the further and further Paul seems from us, maybe it's time that we consider the explanation for why he is like this. It comes just after our fourth strange statement, I will continue to rejoice. So what he's saying there is whatever happens, I will be rejoicing. How? Why? Next verse. For, because. That's the word that I'm here, I'm explaining. For, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Just about see that, can't you? What's the most obvious meaning of this? Well, The most obvious meaning is that because people are praying, Paul will be released from prison. Now it would make most sense, wouldn't it? It's actually not quite what he meant, as we'll see in a moment, but it's a helpful start to understand his mindset and what God is doing. So as I've been preparing for this message, I've also just in my own times with God been reading through the Psalms in the Old Testament And I've been reading through, I'm nearly at the end, Psalms 142 and 143 are among what I read this week. And in both of them, David sings about being imprisoned. Because I knew I was preaching on this, that got my attention. Oh, that's a similar thing. Psalm 142, 6 to 7, attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, they're too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. 143, verse 3, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. I was reading really that and okay, this is really like Paul's situation. And God used David's response to this to help me think through Paul's attitude. David says, in the midst of all of this, he's horrified and he says, I will remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. And that got me thinking, well, what are some of those works of old that God had done? Well, God often rescued people from circumstances like David's, like Paul's. There was Joseph, wrongly imprisoned for years, but suddenly one day brought out of prison and made prime minister of Egypt. There was David himself, who's a fugitive at this point, but is later brought out of a cave in which he was hiding and becomes king. Later on, there would be Daniel, who's thrown down into a lion's den, but is kept safe and then is raised up and returns to his position as a president of the Persian Empire. And so there's this repeated pattern in Scripture that God allows faithful people to be brought low, because of their faithfulness to him, and then for that same faithfulness, they are then raised up again. So Paul's circumstances, his situation, could turn out like that too, couldn't it? He's down in prison at the moment, he could be released. That would be great. But actually, something better than that's happened. Something has happened since those Old Testament stories which dominated Paul's thinking and is the full explanation for why he is like he is. Another righteous man had been unjustly treated and brought down low. Not to a prison or a cave or a lion's den, but to the grave. Jesus had died on a cross. And been buried. And then God had raised him up to new eternal life. That is the story that all those other stories pointed to. That is the pattern. That's where the pattern originates from. The opposition that Jesus had faced was sin and death. But because he was sinless, sin had no claim on him. And death had no hold on him. And so Jesus wasn't dying like the rest of us will because he had to. Jesus was dying because he chose to to be a sacrifice for us, to die for the sins of others, that those sins that would drag us down to the grave and beyond could be dealt with by him. He took them on himself, that he would defeat them on our behalf. He took the full consequences of God's attitude towards those sins, which is righteous anger and punishment. And he took it in on himself. And then because he was innocent and victorious, he rose from the dead and he was raised and he brought with him righteousness, a right relationship with God for any who would trust in him so that those who once were sinners who deserved death would become sons who were given life. It's not like a reset. It's not like wiping the slate clean and then we'll see how you go. It is much more than that. It is a release. It is a transformation. It is the ultimate prison break. All that enslaved you, all that caught you, all that made you do the things that you didn't want to do, God can set you free from. I'm sure that that's what Paul is thinking about here. There's a weird use of this word deliverance. Almost every English translation of Philippians 1.19 uses the word deliverance for what Paul is confidently expecting and rejoicing in. And that makes a degree of sense. Paul's like, I'm really excited that I'll be released out of prison. And you're like, that can't be what this level of joy and this level of passion and this level of amazement is resting on, that I might get out of prison. That doesn't quite seem right, does it? And it doesn't really seem right, it doesn't seem like the rest of this reading. So he keeps talking about dying and stuff. Well Every other time he uses that word, it is translated as salvation. 90% of the time it's used in the the entire New Testament or so, it's translated as salvation. The word can and probably originally meant, you know, release from uh, physical difficulty. But the first Christians used it primarily to talk about God having rescued them from sin and death. And it's this that Paul realises is happening even through his imprisonment. God is continuing to bring about his salvation in Paul's life. Paul is being taken from a sinner who deserved death to a son who is given life. Through what Jesus has done, through the rescue that Jesus has brought about. And this salvation was the dominating reality of Paul's life. It wasn't just one of the things that were going on for him. Like, what are you, you know, top five things that are happening. Paul's like, I don't work like that. Don't have a top five. I have one thing. So it was not even top of the list. It is the list. It is Paul's entire life. Because what could be more important than our eternal destiny? What could be more important than the purposes of God, the author of history? What could be more life-changing than having been changed from a sinner who opposes God to being his forgiven and beloved child? What could be more wonderful than a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our brilliant, beautiful Saviour? That's Paul's logic, because that's Paul's experience. He'll say to the Philippians later on, I count everything as loss." Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's like the story Jesus told, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Paul is that guy. And that makes him an entirely different kind of person. It makes him the kind of person who sees imprisonment as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Not because he likes trouble, but because he knows that God works power in weakness and can turn graves into gardens and prisons into church plants. It makes him the kind of person who's unbothered by other Christians trying to make his life difficult if the way they do that is telling others the incredible truth about the wonderful salvation in Jesus. Makes him the kind of person who always has reasons to rejoice because the reason he has to rejoice cannot be taken away from him, but that Jesus had died for him and revealed himself to him and had brought him into new life. like If that's true, everything else It just can't matter in the same way. It makes him, therefore, the kind of person who can truthfully write the next strange statement. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. Anyone else here often feel torn between those two? I I mean, most of us are pretty well focused on living our best life now. And that's important. Paul's really clear that his eagerness to leave this life isn't because he's fed up with it. There's plenty more that he wants to do. This is a guy with plans and ambitions and hopes. But death is the entry point to a far closer relationship with Jesus. To be with Christ, he says, is better by far. What is most precious to him now will be glorious then. As he says to the Corinthians, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. If you experience some measure of joy as we worship this morning, some sense of communion with Jesus as we took our bread and juice, if just other things have happened this week that have made you treasure Jesus a bit more, make, make you just feel a slightly greater awareness of his loveliness, his wonderfulness, his grace, his mercy. If you've had any of that, Paul's saying, that's like this tiny, tiny drop of what is to come. Because now it's like it's, it's a dim mirror. It's a mess. I'm like, I can, I can see bits of him. I see moments of him. And Paul's saying, then it will be face to face. Then you'll be more aware of Jesus than you are aware of the person sitting next to you right now. And oh, how wonderful that will be. Psalm 16 says of God, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what death brings you if you're a believer in Jesus. No wonder. Paul considered it the better option. The death of a follower of Jesus will cause grief for those they leave behind. Paul knew this, so do many of us here. But for the one who has died, it's nothing but gain. And Paul knew this too made him untouchable. The Romans could keep him in prison. They could execute him. He would rejoice either way. Not in those things happening, but what God would do through those things. Whatever they did to him, he had an opportunity to show how great Jesus is. He says in verse 20, Christ will be exalted. That means magnified. That means made to be seen great. In my body, Whatever they do to me, he says, that is what I am planning to do because that is what I believe, that Jesus is magnificent, that Jesus is exalted, that Jesus is great and glorious. And so everything I do is an opportunity to show that. As is the final option, which he discusses in his final strange statement. They can keep him in prison. He'll rejoice. They can execute him. He'll rejoice. Third option, statement six. I know that I'll remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. There's a chance he might be killed, and so go to be with Jesus, better by far for him than anything else. I it's really settled in Paul that that's the case. Why would he hope this might not happen then, and that he would be released instead? Because he's not thinking about what's best for him, but what's best for them. As we know by now, that's because Jesus dominates his thinking. And this is how Jesus thinks. That when Jesus is in heaven with the Father in glory and peace, and the Father says, son, I want you to go and suffer and die. Jesus says, yes, I want that too. Because that will save my people. That will win my bride. So Jesus took the form of a slave, sinking down so low in order to raise his people up so high. And so by preferring the needs of others to his own, Paul is imitating Jesus. And as he'll say later, he wants the Philippians to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Which means we can't just admire him or be a bit intimidated by him or try to write him off as a special case. And he was special, but not in this way. We have all these statements in this passage which seem so strange to us, but made perfect sense to him. And the challenging logic of that is that the stranger they seem to us, the less like Paul we must be, and by implication, the less like Jesus. How can that change? Let's try to do three things that we find in this passage. Firstly, and ultimately, by making Jesus as so far superior to everything else in our lives as he actually is. What's implied throughout the section is made clear in that line I quoted earlier from chapter 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul rejected or relativized things that might distract him from him understanding and seeing Jesus as being the focus of his attention and affection. Paul's not like, I'm worried that Jesus might not be the most important thing in the world. He knows that Jesus is the most important thing in the world and the most important thing in his life. He knows that, but he also knows that things can come into his life. Things can be given space by him or that he can just imbibe without thinking about it that will make Jesus not seem the most important thing in his life or slightly less or with some other things are also important or something like that. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. He wants, he wants his thinking and his living to be conformed to the true reality of who Jesus is and what this salvation is for him. And that's why he's so ambivalent about things like marriage and money and reputation things that most of us want, things that are and can be blessings from God, they're just treated really differently by Paul because he knows how valuable Christ is and he is determined to keep treasuring Christ. What are the things that take your attention and affection away from Jesus? You can work out what they are by thinking about what you spend your time and your money and your energy on? Or if a lot of that seems to be determined by others, what you do in the bit that's left? Are they, if you're a follower of Jesus, about Jesus? Do they help you to love him more and to cherish him more and to know him more and to serve him more? Paul had had incredible personal encounters with Jesus. So again, we can be like, well, if that happened to me, then I'm sure I'd be like him. But he doesn't say that that's what does it for him. He says that he makes choices every day to treasure Jesus above all other things. What are the things that you do that make Jesus appear larger in your life that make him seem like what he is which is more wonderful than you currently consider him to be What are the things that you found help you love and magnify Jesus more I find there's just there's a bunch of different things do that for me and different seasons mean I have to learn to do things differently and at the moment I'm just I'm learning to pray in small moments I don't often get as many large moments as I'd like, so I have to do these small moments. And what that does is it makes me be clear that it's not just something I do at the start of my day or the end of my day, but actually Jesus is with me all through the day. That's helping me to cherish him more, living sacrificially rather than how I always want to, because there are demands and requirements and things. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's like Jesus slightly, I'm reading a book at the moment um, that's just making me gasp about how amazing Jesus is. It's called The Secret Secret Genius of Jesus, or Surprising Genius of Jesus. And um, it's it's mostly about the prodigal son. I know the story of the prodigal son. This book has made me gasp with what Jesus is doing in that story. I stir in my heart. I love Jesus more because I've read that. I've loved Jesus more because I've I've given him these moments of sacrifice I've had to make. I love Jesus more because I've realized that he's listening to me and with me all through every day. I'm not just letting these things happen. I'm not letting letting other things happen. I'm I'm seeking to see more of Jesus. We had a leaders meeting on Friday evening, and uh, Janita brought a word to us that every moment we could use to communicate with the Father, we should use it. And I just think there's something true about that. And there's moments where I'm like, well, I'll just, and I think, no, I won't just. I'm just going to speak to God instead. Just trying to do that more. Paul also, we, we particularly a church like ours, we tend to, when we think about something like this, we think about personal devotion. But actually, Paul saw service as a real key to his relationship with Jesus and his cherishing of Jesus. Paul saw himself as a slave whose identity was determined by who his master was. He saw opposition and trouble, which we might think of as failure. He was like, well, Jesus experienced that. So this is bringing me closer to Jesus. I'm sharing in an experience with Jesus. I can talk with Jesus about things that Jesus has been through. Secondly, he asked the Philippians to pray for him. Again, This is a uniquely gifted man, one of the most important influential people in history. He has been faithful to Jesus for decades. And he says to the Philippians, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I need you to pray for me. He knows he needs the prayers of others. Imprisonment is a test. A trial before the emperor will truly be a trial. Paul isn't prepared to be like, I'm sure it'll be all right. He says, I need you to pray. He doesn't want to be ashamed by how he acts, but rather be courageous and exalt Jesus, whether by my life or by death. God has so arranged things that other people asking him to do something for you will lead to that happening. God likes to use that system. It gives him glory and he brings us closer to one another. To put it another way, your prayers for other people really matter. So if you are doing this, keep going. Don't give up. If you're going to get started, this is a great thing to get started on. Come along to the things that we are doing to pray together. that helps you to then learn to pray by yourself as well. And thirdly and finally, Paul trusts in God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So if you're like, what do I pray for other people? Well, read the kind of things Paul prayed. Here he talks about needing the Holy Spirit. He knows he has the Holy Spirit, but he knows that he needs more of the Spirit. Again and again in the book of Acts, it's the Spirit who empowers people to preach boldly. So what we see in that first strange statement, Paul's like, the gospel is advancing through me. We're like, really? The gospel is advancing through other believers. We're like, really? How is that possible? Because the sovereign Lord has sent his Spirit into them that they might preach the good news. That's what happens in Acts again and again and again. It's the Spirit who brings us into an intimate relationship with Jesus, who enables us to see him for who he is and to love him more and more to heighten our anticipation of the joy that we're going to have with him. He's called a deposit or a down payment of what is to come. So when we experience him, we think, wow, this is amazing. What on earth in heaven is to come? Now, the Spirit does this in a variety of ways, but he does it. Gradually, suddenly, we're to ask him to do this. So we will just end in a moment by asking him to do this. In us, But I guess I just want to end by asking a question that's really been implied all the way through. Does your life make more sense to people who aren't followers of Jesus than it should? Christians aren't called to be like everyone else. Jesus has turned our lives upside down, the right way up, actually. But that makes us at variance with people around us. We're to show that. We're to tell it. When we ask him to do his work in our lives, he will do this. As we prioritize him, make him the most about our whole lives, as we are prayed for by others, and as we receive his spirit, more and more we can become like this, which is the will of God for our lives. So I'm just going to ask I'm going to ask uh, Raph and Doris actually to come and and to pray for us all because I think they're great examples of people who live this way and do this. And I just want to encourage you take a moment and say, God, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Paul. I want to be more in love with you. I want to be more committed to you. I want to give my life more fully to you.
1: What we really want that kings as a church, Christ is the cornerstone. All we do is Christ and that happens not just collectively but also individually. So we really want to pray that may Christ see this church that he is indeed the cornerstone Mm -hmm. in our individual lives. He is. He is the Mm all-in-all. He determines what we do. Mm -hmm. He determines how we react to circumstances. It determines how we evaluate every situation. Mm-hmm. Him, the very corners. So want to pray that. And I will, then uh, Doris will pray for the provision of God's spirit, which is very important. Um, and I, I really encourage you, uh, Paul as a leader was so for prayers, to pray for our leaders. They need our prayers. And to pray for God's provision, God's spirit flooding yes. us as a church. We need the provision of God yes. more and more. So I will start off then, Doris, we, uh, we take from there. Father, we worship you. Yes. We bless you for your word. And yes. Lord, you've spoken to us. We thank you that your word is life and spirit. Lord, our desire, Lord Jesus, that you be the core, the very center of King Church. Thank you for all we've done so far, but Lord, we want to invite you more, more of you, more of your power. You determine and you all that happened here. You are exalted as king uh, in King church. You are exalted in our individual lives. Lord Jesus, you said to Mary, you are troubled about many things, but you said only one thing is important. Only one thing is needed. Time in your presence. So we pray. Pray that we grow more in the knowledge of you. Pray, oh God, that we get to know more and more about Jesus. That you determine the course of our life. Everything we do. Father, more of knowing Jesus as a church and as your people. As individuals. Jesus, be Lord over kings. Be Lord over in the greater dimension for your glory. That many will come to know you. That the gospel will spread because of you walking here as Lord over all thank you lord in jesus name Mm. father under god we thank you that you are with us you are in us Mm. each believer is has got the spirit of god so lord we pray as we pray for one another as people come to mind in the week and we pray we have faith that you are at work in the lives of individuals so Lord, thank you for your encouragement that our prayers matter. Mm. That this week when somebody comes to mind and we pray for them, for mm. the grace of God, the peace of God, mm. thanking God for their lives, know mm. that that prayer matters. Mm. Father, thank you mm. for your help by your Holy Spirit that your, all the glory will come to you
0: mm. in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 Let's work this through in our lives by the power of the Spirit. He wants to do it. He wants to do it in you. So let's do that.